there is an animal that we do not know exactly how it reproduces. This animal has never been seen to engage in sexual activities in the wild, nor have sexual organs been found in it in the wild. Is this animal something supernatural, otherworldly, or just something we don't completely understand yet? The animal is the eel. Let's talk about it and get so scared. It's me, the Nemean Cannon. You can say I'm C, and I'm here with... Katie! And also Buster's here. He's here, Buster's here. Hey, you're a stinky boy. He's always here. So, yeah, this is the episode. Also, I uh, want to say Happy New Year. This is our first episode of 2023. Do-do-do! Like, halfway through February. We're a little late. It's okay. But... On the bright side, I spent this time prepping more episodes, so we should be on schedule after this consistently. So every other week, check back here for another episode about something weird, spooky, or maybe interesting. Check out, make sure you guys check out our social media. All the links are in the description. And also, uh, I don't know. That's all I got for promoting. Uh. What about you? What, you? what are your thoughts on what we're talking Me! about? Me! Um, I didn't expect it to be the eel. I thought you were going to say something that, like, I don't, never have ever heard of before. Mm-hmm. So when you were saying eel, I was like, whoa, what? Yeah, that's what I was going for. I was hoping to kind of surprise you. You did surprise me. Good. It's the eel. Uh, I was going to say, the whole reason we're doing this is because this was actually, like, kind of a viral thing, like, almost a year ago when I first started writing the script and doing the research for this episode, like, it was, like, eight months ago on TikTok that this exploded, and everyone was like, whoa, the eel is crazy. Apparently it didn't explode enough for, because I didn't know about it. Uh, I guess I just, I'm in the right circles on TikTok. Yeah, I guess so. It's because I follow Hank Green. Yep, yep, that's yeah. what it is. That's it. Uh, so this was a real big thing. I was like, ah, oh, sweet, I can capitalize on how this is viral and do an episode on it. And then eight months later, we're finally doing the episode on it. So, I did not take full advantage of this being a it's viral okay. topic. <laughs> but who cares? Alright. Are you ready to get into learning about eels? Yeah. Alright. Oh, I will say, I guess this is still kind of a topic, because somebody at work brought it up recently. That they are like, ooh, I just heard this, like, the other week. So, I guess people are still talking about eels. Alright. Okay. Eels. So, back. In, we're going to talk about them in their olden days. So back in the olden days in Europe, uh, eels were a very common food. Uh, they were eaten in England, Sweden, Italy, and a lot of other places. Uh, partially because they could they could find them everywhere, which is partially a part of the mystery. Because eels could be caught in rivers, they were caught in lakes, they were caught in little brooks, they were caught in the sea, and they were even 
found in ponds that would dry out and refill every year. Hmm. So it was just like, and those ponds had no connections to other bodies of water. So it was just like, how did the eels get there? And how did they get there every year? So it's hmm. just like a weird thing. But they're like everywhere. So everybody was eating them. Um, they even noticed back then that sometimes eels would just come out of the ground by the water. So they just pop out of the mud. Hmm. And with eating them so often, uh, the people also noticed that they didn't see any sexual organs in the eels. So, of course, uh, people are going to come up with their own theories. Uh, the mystery, people were like confused by the mystery of eels for a long time. They talked about it for centuries. Uh, and a lot of the brightest minds that you think of in history talked about them. So, uh, for one thing, Egyptians... Here are a few of the theories. Egyptians believed that the sun warming the Nile produced eels. So just like the sun warmed up the Nile River, and then eels were produced from that. Uh, Pliny the Elder, uh, he thought that new eels came from old eels as they rubbed parts of their bodies off on rocks. So like just like flakes of their bodies would rub off, and he was like, that turns into an eel. So it's like when a worm loses its butt, and or like a lizard loses its like the end of its tail and it grows back they thought that like that's how eels the little like bits of the eel that came off like regenerated yeah just turned into new eels that makes no sense okay uh well you know what they they weren't working with a lot uh and also aristotle even got in on this uh saying eels spontaneously came from buster is freaking chewing on my clothing this is why you're a bad host. Aristotle said that eels spontaneously came from rainwater and mud mixing. What? That was Aristotle's idea. Okay. Um, there was also an old belief that eels began life as beetles. Mm. And they just grew into eels. Uh, others believe they came from sea foam or from sun rays shining on a special dew on lake shores and riverbanks in spring. What? <clears throat> a lot of magical ideas. Apparently. And where eels, eel fishing was popular in the English countryside, people had a theory that when hairs from a horse's tail fell into water, it created eels. Okay. So, that's a lot of the old theories. A lot of, like, uh, when they didn't understand science. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. I don't know. There's a lot of, like, ooh, that's what people thought back then? Before they could, like, figure things out? That is uh, crazy. But moving into more modern times, in the 1800s, uh, it was a good time in the world of science with advancements in technology and scientific systems. And people like Darwin and many others began answering questions that had confused humans for many years, including... Where eels came from. <laughs> Buster. <laughs> you're such a twerp. <laughs> Buster makes it real hard to keep this show on track. Okay, so the question of how eels reproduce was so pervasive that on his deathbed, in 1874, the German biologist Max Scholz had said, and I'm going to paraphrase 
this uh, quote a bit. He said, All the important questions had now been settled, except the eel question. So even on the this guy's, like, deathbed, he was still like, What about the eels? Yeah, he was still like, What? We don't know about eels. Uh, but they kept looking into eels, and in 1876, there was a 19-year-old boy who arrived in the port city of Trieste, Italy. Every morning, he would meet the fishermen at the port as they brought in their catch. And at first, he would buy eels by the dozen from them, but eventually started buying them by the hundreds. Wow. He would take them home to his dissection table. He would be at that table from 8 in the morning until noon when he broke for lunch, and then go back to the table from 1 to 6 when he quit for the day. And he did all this in search of sexual organs in the eels to no avail. He wrote to a friend, My hands are stained by the white and red blood of the sea creatures. All I see when I close my eyes is the shimmering dead tissue, which haunts my dreams. And all I can think about are the big questions, the ones that go hand in hand with testicles and ovaries, the universal, pivotal questions. Do you know who this young man was? Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's too stupid to figure this out. Ah, got him. Uh, This was Sigmund Freud. Oh my god, of fucking course it was! Yeah, it explains a lot. Uh, he eventually, obviously, took his studies in a different direction, but it all started in Trieste, uh, hoping he'd be the first to find an eel's testicles. And I feel like that explains a lot about him. <laughs> Elon Musk? Elon <laughs> Musk? <laughs> yeah, we also can't find Elon Musk's testicles. <laughs> uh, anyway. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Like, this was, like, a big mystery. Like, every big person, I feel, that you think of when you think of science was, like, at some point was, like... What about the meal? Yeah. They were, like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to be the one. And then they kept not doing it. I never specified, but this whole thing is obviously specifically about the European eel, because we're talking about Europe a lot, but... The European eel wasn't always completely known as one eel. So we figure out the European eel has four distinct periods of its life. And in between each period, it goes through a metamorphosis. So they originally thought that each of those periods were different species of eels. But then they figured out it was all the same one. So it starts off as a little larva out in the sea. And it floats from the sea to Europe. Then it becomes an elver, just a few inches long, with translucent skin, so you can see its insides, and it makes its way along coasts and up rivers, and then it gets to ponds and becomes a yellow-brown eel, which can move across dry land and hibernate in the mud. When they get to this stage, they could be in this stage of life anywhere from 8 years to over 50 years. Kind of random. It just kind that of That is a big span of time. Yeah, it's just like however long the eel's like, I want to stay here in this pond. Hmm. They just kind of stay. And then it hits its final stage, the silver eel. Eel. Gosh, saying eel this many times is not, is like weird. <laughs> uh, and it swims back out to sea. So hmm. it's also a weird fish because like, it's not really, well, yeah, it's a fish, I guess. But it's also a weird animal because most things that live in the water don't go from like, because we'll talk about it, this thing goes out into the ocean. And it's like most things don't go from like salt water of the ocean into rivers where it's like fresh water. 
Like they don't. Yeah. Most things don't go back and forth, but the eel does for some reason. Hmm. So it's kind of weird. Silly little eel. So then, with that knowledge, the Danish researcher Johannes Schmidt, uh, he got into the eel research, and he said, "We know then that the old eels vanish from our kin into the sea, and that the sea sends us in." return innumerable innumerable hosts of elvers. But whither have they wandered, these old eels, and whence have the elvers come? The the way these people talk about eels is very, like, I don't know, it feels poetic. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I feel like eels, like, they're mysterious, but it's like, do they deserve this much? I don't know. (laughs) Poetry. So, in 1904, he left his family in Copenhagen, and he went out to sea, and he spent seven years searching the coasts of Europe for the smallest eels, uh, the newborns. But all he found were larger larvae. He then spent the next three years going into the Atlantic Ocean, netting more eels, mapping out the ocean where he found eel, eel, <laughs> eel larvae and how big they were, searching for the tiniest ones to lead him to their origins. So he just went to the Atlantic Ocean and, like, mapped out where he found different sizes of eels. That's dedication. Yeah. He's literally, like, seven years searching the coast and then three years in the ocean. Like, he spent ten years on this. Uh, This took a while, and he was slowed down by a shipwreck and also the First World War. Uh, But 19 years after he started this search, he came back with his findings, quote, how long the journey lasts, we cannot say, but we know now the destination sought. A certain area situated in the western Atlantic, northeast and north of the West Indies. Here lie the breeding grounds of the eel. So, since Johann Smith figured this out, no one else has been able to come up with a different answer as to where eels be. Like, pretty much where he found them breeding is the best place we've got, uh, but even though we kind of know where they breed, it's been tough to find them breeding or to find eggs. So there was one expedition that checked 7,000 fish eggs in the breeding grounds. Not one of those eggs came from an eel. So even though we pretty much know where they mate, it's been very hard to find mature mating eels out in their breeding grounds, dead or alive, or find their eggs. So it's like we don't, even after like they get out there mature and presumably die, we can't find their dead bodies after they mate. Maybe there's some kind of predator or like scavenger that eats all the dead bodies? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but you would still think that we'd find at least one. Maybe not. I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Uh, now it's here. I want to talk about this mystery, and I'm gonna kind of ruin it a little bit, I guess. Miss, uh, the beginning of this episode, uh, it's a little misleading, because the whole narrative that we don't know how eels reproduce is a bit of an exaggeration, and I feel like it was a lot of, what's the word I'm trying, like, over, like, people trying to fish for reactions on TikTok and stuff. Mm-hmm. And social media, so that they can like get views and go viral. Like clickbait. Yeah, it's kind of clickbaity. Like we don't know how eels reproduce, and like people are like, "Whoa, that's crazy!" Because there's a lot of mysteries, and mysteries are fun, 
But when it comes down to it, we actually have a pretty good idea of how they do mate. Because although we've never seen them do it in the wild, we have been able to get eels to reproduce in captivity. Hmm. Uh, The only thing is that we've only been able to cause it by treating the eels with hormones. So it's like, it may not be exactly how it happens in the wild. And we can't make it happen very often. But we've seen them do it. So, like, we have an idea. Pretty much like they took eels in captivity and just kind of like, the hormones that eels would produce in their breeding grounds to make them each other mate, we just like kind of pumped them with those hormones until like they were like, even though we're not in our right place, I guess we'll do it here. But like even then, like when we try to do that, they don't always do it because like they're not in the right area. Not, yeah. Yeah. So it's like even like when we give them the hormones they need to want to reproduce, they still know that they're not in the right place and don't want to do it. It seems, which is still weird. That is weird. Uh, but essentially, from what we've seen, the theory of how it happens in the wild is that when they reach their breeding grounds. They grow the reproductive organs then, and that's why they're not found in any of the other eels before that. Uh, and then we know from the ones that reproduce in captive- captivity that they spray out their eggs and the sperm, and that's how they fertilize the eggs. So essentially it seems that when they get there, they know to let out their hormones. When they see those hormones and they know they're in the right place, they then grow the reproductive organs, and then they do it. So it's all based on where they are and their hormones. Mm. But, and then there's also the idea... So they just, they don't, they're not born with it, they just grow it when they meet it? Yeah, pretty much. Right at the end of so their life. So instead of there being, like, a select number of, like, male and female, like, parts, it's, like... They just kind of, like... They just grow what is needed in that moment. Yeah, pretty much. And then there's also the idea that they do the reproducing at or below 1,640 feet, or which is 500 meters. So they do it kind of deep. And I feel like that could explain some of the things, like why we've never found them, because like obviously they don't have the reproductive organs until like right then. Presumably, since we don't see any mature ones leave there, they just die immediately afterwards. And also, they do it so deep that perhaps we can't find their eggs. Perhaps, like, the eggs stay down low and then hatch, and, like, then the egg, like, sinks or something. And that's why we never find any stuff, because it's all just too deep down for us to see it. And then also... Like, we never see the eels, like, freshly born because, like, maybe they stay down that deep until, like, they grow slightly larger. And so it's, like, it's just, like, all, if we could, like, be down there all the time, maybe we could see it, but we can't. And that would make it extra hard because, like, we have an idea of where they breed, but because of all this stuff, we can't pinpoint their exact location. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little bit tough. And uh, on their breeding grounds, uh, I'll talk about the breeding grounds specifically more, but I'm just going to say, like, the area that is their breeding grounds has a lot of seaweed floating around, which has historically made it a little hard for people to travel through. 
and that might also make it hard for us to find stuff in there because like there's just a bunch sense. of seaweed. Uh, but we have a decent idea of how it works, I feel. And just because we probably know how they reproduce in the wild doesn't mean we're done talking about them. Because the European eel has other mysteries than just that. Uh, and one is their breeding grounds, like I said I'm going to talk about. So I told you, Johannes Schmidt found the breeding grounds in the Atlantic Ocean. But specifically, they are in the Sargasso Sea. And this sea is unique, and I've never actually heard of this sea before. It's kind of weird. Uh, to give you a better idea where this is, it's in the west part of the Atlantic Ocean, close to North America. It's just east of Bermuda. So it's kind of close to, if not partially, in the Bermuda Triangle. Hmm. Which also adds to, like, the weirdness. Yeah. It's in the Bermuda Triangle, kind of. Now, uh, you know about... The differences in bodies of water, right? You know, like, oceans are real big, and they're surrounded by continents. Lakes are small, and they're surrounded by land. And seas, the way I always thought of it, is that they're normally kind of medium in between those with land, like, mostly around them, you know? But the Sargasso Sea, where they go to breed, it's within the Atlantic Ocean, and unlike every other sea, it has no land around its border. Hmm. Instead, its boundaries are created by four ocean co- ocean currents that rotate around the sea in a clockwise motion. Okay. So it's like a section of water that's separated from the Atlantic Ocean by ocean currents that rotate around it in a circle. And we just call that the sea. Hmm. Uh, the mystery. Weird. Yeah. I, I didn't know that that's how, like, a sea could be sectioned off. Like, that's, like, I've never heard of that before. Me neither. Uh, the mystery comes into play with the fact that this is also the breeding grounds of the American eel, and how both those genetically different larvae are all mixed up, but are able to separate from each other somehow and figure out how to get to their respective continents that they are meant to go to without, like, getting confused. Like, it's just one of those, like, it's a weird natural instinct, I guess, but it's like, both the American and European eel go to the same sea to reproduce, but yet somehow, with all those larvae all mixed together, none of them, like, get confused. Like, yeah. no American eels go to Europe and no Europe ones go to eat America. Like, how does that work? I don't know. It's like when you see a horse pop out of a big mom that just starts running around. It's like, how do you know how to do that? How do you know how to run? Yep. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of like weird instincts, like the the monarch butterfly. How it's like they migrate across all of like North America, pretty much, and like have like babies, and then somehow those caterpillars, when they grow up into monarch butterflies, they know to also migrate the exact same path as like their parents did. Yeah. It's like how do they do that? I don't know. Somehow, like, genetically, like, information has passed from, like, one generation to the I next. I feel like if we still had to hunt for our food and things like that, we would still have that kind of, like, natural instinct kind of thing born in us. Like, I know where to get this, I know where to do this, like, but we're, like, so privileged and, like, built up all this stuff so that we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. So we forget that. I feel like that's a, a normal 
thing in nature. Yeah. I guess I did also, like, listen to one thing that mentioned, like, I guess, like, with all of our, like, technology and, like, communication, like, we don't have to have, like, that type of, like, information passed from, like, genetics. But we still kind of have, like, information kind of like that with, like, how some people have an innate fear of, like, the dark. Yeah. And it's like, that could be, like, a genetic holdover from when we were primitive, and it's like, we had to be afraid of, like, caves, because what if a bear's in there, and it's, like, dark. So, yeah. like, we're still scared of the dark, or, like, you're scared of a snake, because, like... Or little heights. Or heights. Yeah, because it's, like, something that could have been dangerous to them, our ancestors back in the old days, and so they learned to be scared of it. It passed on genetically, and it's like we're still scared of it, even though we really don't need to be. And it's just like just how it was back then. So that's why we're scared of that, which is real annoying because I'm freaking terrified of spiders, which is like the dumbest thing because they're so small. But it's like I hate them. I can't. I mean, they get pretty big. They can if yeah. you're in Australia. That's why I'm not going to live in Australia. I'm sorry, <laughs> Australia. Along with this. A, another mystery that has come up with the eels more recently is why are they disappearing? Not It's not a fun mystery like the other mysteries were. Of course. Uh, the international... It seems like every time we talk about an animal on this podcast, it's like, oh, it's dying Surprise, off. Surprise, they're dying. Yep. I'm sorry. Uh, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, which is the IC... I... Not IC. I-U-C-N has had some troubles with eels because they'd like to count the number of mature eels at their breeding grounds. That way we can know how many there are. But because of the unknown factors of their breeding grounds, they can't do that. Like, that's a hard number to get. So instead, they count the number of elvers that arrive to Europe in the spring. And they those numbers have been down... They're down to 5% of what they were in the 1970s. So it's down by a lot. Yes. And dang. making the European eel critically endangered. Uh, possible reasons range from disease to new dams being built to overfishing to climate change affecting ocean currents that they need for migration. Or even like a mixture of all those things. Nice. Yeah. So, of course, a lot of stuff humans cause is possibly killing off the eels. Uh, scientists are researching to figure out this and hopefully save the eels, but if they can't, we will lose these animals and lose any chance to solve the rest of the mysteries involving them forever. Uh, because also, as I said before, they're kind of similar to pandas, where it's like, it's hard to make them reproduce in captivity. So it's like if... Yeah, because if a mama panda has more than one baby, she'll only feed the one baby. Hmm. Yeah. So it's like, like if she has twins, which is rare, she'll only feed the one. So you have to like switch them out. Oh, I'm sure you. I don't know. If, I'm sure that people know what I'm talking about. There's like yeah. a video of them being in like a little like zoo or something, and they have to like distract them with food for like two seconds to switch out the babies. So she'll feed both. Mm, I didn't know about that. Some animals, like you know, they have a way they do it in nature. And then humans come along and we change things and we can't get them to do it in captivity. 
to keep reproducing. And it's like, if we don't fix the problems in their natural habitat, then it's like, we're just going to lose them. On another fact of, like, humans messing things up, I saw that apparently, like, something about, like, silkworms, because of human interaction, like, they just can't survive in the wild anymore. That's a great... The way we get silk from them is that we wait for the, like, caterpillar to make a cocoon of silk, and then they boil it to get the silk off of the caterpillar, killing the caterpillar like pretty much grow them in like captivity so that we can make silk it's like they just they've grown to like not know how to do stuff in the wild which really sucks because i saw pictures of like the moth like the silk moth and like that thing's really beautiful like it's a really nice looking moth yeah and there's just like not really any in the wild anymore, and because the ones in captivity. The only it. ones that were possibly in the wild got killed before they could become the moth. Yeah, and the only reason they do it that way is because when the caterpillar like uses chemicals to like make a little hole in the cocoon and get out, it discolors the silk away from white, and they're like, mm, "Nope, we need the silk completely white." So we're gonna kill the caterpillar so that we can have white. Of course, silk. white is always a problem. Yep. <sighs> Damn. Um, so yeah. Humans suck. We're killing our planet. And eels are really interesting. And there's a lot of weird stuff in the world that we don't know about. That's the uplifting ending of this episode. Also, you could probably hear it in the background, but throughout the last half of this episode, Buster has been chewing on his noise. So if you could hear a noise... Uh, that's what it is. So Also, Felix decided to get really hyper and run around, and of course he's the only one with the collar that has a bell on it. Yeah. So, so you, you might probably heard that too. Here's... And then our neighbor decided to come out and yell a little bit. So. so Just some fun midnight yelling. There could be a lot of background noises in this episode. Uh, hopefully not too much. But this episode's kind of short. Uh, sorry, our first episode of the year coming back to this is a little bit short, but I promise you, the next one should be the next part of the Illegal Foods, and that one's gonna be really long, probably. Probably. Especially since it has one extra thing in it, because last time I had to take one out and move it to the next one, so it's gonna be a little bit longer than the others, uh, but it's, it's interesting. Interesting! Um, uh, make sure you check out my YouTube channel, my social media. Uh, if you want to look at my art, you can check that out on my Instagram. If you want to commission art, you can DM me and ask me about prices. Now, what do you want to promote? What do you um, plug? plug I'm going to plug Whimsical Formations on Facebook. Hold for Felix Scratching the Cat post. Um, I make polymer clay earrings and I also do art. Um, I dabble mostly in painting. Um, and I do like little crafts and stuff. So check out my Facebook page, Whimsical Formation. That's really all I got to plug. All right. Make sure you share this podcast. It's the best way to help us grow. Uh, tell people that every other week we're going to be putting out new episodes. So they should check us out. And don't forget, if you can rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and if you give us a five-star review, we will read it 
live on the podcast show. That's and if it. you go to our podcast Instagram, you can find a cute picture of Buster with a mug about podcasts. Yeah. And probably more pictures of Buster because he's the third host and we post him on our Instagram there. All right. That's it. Buster, you want to say goodbye? Buster, say goodbye. Say bye. Okay, that was his goodbye. 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 Hey, everybody. It's me. I just want to jump in here after we said goodbye to let you know there was three distinct parts that you probably heard where the audio, where I was talking, sounded completely different and honestly a little bit better. And that's because during our initial recording, uh, it messed up and I didn't realize that and cut out those three parts where just I was talking. So while editing this, I just re-recorded myself, which is why it sounds so much better because it's just me. I'm just recording myself and I have the microphone up close to myself. And I just re-recorded what I remembered having said and plopped it right back into those spots that messed up. So that's why it sounded different three different times. I just wanted to say that I felt really self-conscious about listening back and being like oh wow this is really noticeable that i re-recorded this stuff so yeah that's it i just want to tell you that uh, that's all goodbye uh also check out our social media and also check out my youtube channel and also come back here in two weeks for another episode okay goodbye <laughs>